Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you, Joel and Dee. Good morning, everybody. What an amazing morning we've had. And I have absolutely no idea how to sum it all up at this point in time. All the different wonderful facets of people's lives getting changed. What I'd like to do, or try and do in just a few minutes, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for too long, but what I want to do is try and get underneath what this is all about. And we've heard about how Jesus has changed individual lives, and that, of course, is essential to the whole thing, but there's another part to this. And that was summed up by a friend of mine who recently made this reflection that has stuck with me. He said, most people at some point in their lives, or two or maybe three times in their lives, are privileged to be part of a community that leaves a mark for good on their lives. That they're able to look back at and say, that changed me in very, very positive ways. He went on, most of the time, we live in semi or thin community, which we move through without any difference being made. And it made me think. I guess some of you at this moment are sort of thinking back over your life. Well, how about for me? Well, for me, I could immediately think of several times. Let me just mention two of them. The first was at university. Last year at university, six of us shared a house together. And we made some important decisions before we started the year. The first was that we were going to eat together every evening. There was a big dining room table in our lounge, and we decided that we would take it in turns to cook, and we would feed not only those that were with us, that lived with us, but we would invite our friends in as well. And each evening, a crowd of us, sometimes four, sometimes a dozen, would gather to eat. Now that alone, organizing six students... Some of us who had to learn to cook as well as shop to cook and everything else was something of a challenge. But there was a more significant challenge than that. Three of those I had decided to live with without me being aware were vegetarians. (laughs) And it was put to me by my fellow carnivores that we should all eat vegetarian food all year. Think of it. 365 days without meat wasn't quite actually what happened. And actually, some of our favorite weekends proved to be the moments where our vegetarian fellow householders were not in town. (laughs) And we had bacon. And we had sausage. We even had lamb chops for breakfast. We didn't know when they would be back. (laughs) More seriously, though, that dining room table... And the evenings we spent around it had a profound difference to my life. It was a source of great joy. It was a great opportunity to meet new people, to talk long into the night about the things that really matter. As well as on occasion, if I'm honest with you, an opportunity to combat loneliness. On those occasions where you had nothing to do and everyone else seemed to be busy. I changed a lot during that year. As I was drawn into that community, my values changed. My faith shone brighter. 
New opportunities for graduation appeared as a result of being around that table. Years later, there was another community I was part of, actually a very different type of community. At this stage, I was married, we had children, I was traveling all over the country in my job. And I was part of a team with five others who were seeking to care for churches around the nation and to start new ones. And three or four times a year, we'd meet for two or three days in a hotel and we would talk and we would pray and we would plan and we would eat together. Now, this team was very different from one another. We didn't live in the same neighborhood. We were spread out right across the UK. We had different social backgrounds, different schooling experiences, different personalities, and even different political convictions. But we knew we were meant to do this thing together. And it became very important to us. Not only was the task important, but each other became important. And I remember we did this for 10 years, 10 years of regularly spending time together. During that time, we helped each other articulate our own dreams and visions and encouraged each other to chase them. We became aware of each other's weaknesses and we told each other where we could grow and where we could change. We had the joy of sharing in times of tears and the joy of sharing times of success and progress and victory together. It made me a bigger person. It made me more appreciative of what I could do well and more appreciative of where I needed help with the joy and the support of others who really wanted to do that for me and with me. Why am I talking about this today, uh, baptism? Well, actually, in the first baptism service that we're told about in the book of Acts, it's followed immediately by those who have been baptized forming a community. Here's how Luke describes it in Luke chapter 2. He says, all the believers, these were three thousand, largely, the majority, 3,000 newly baptized people. I should say, by the way, hey, congratulations, those of you that have been baptized today. It takes huge courage to do what you've done. You will not regret it, and it will be a huge source of strength to your life. And just to say, too, we're thrilled and honored for those family and friends who have joined us today as well. Huge welcome to you, and we hope that this is a, a really worthwhile experience for you, too. Here's what it says. These 3,000 have just been baptized. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Baptism should lead to the formation of community and community Christchurch London, even spread out across the whole city, should be what underlies everything that we do. And I think this community, and you can read afterwards the whole thing, Acts, 40, Acts 2, 42 to 47, I think those part of that community would have looked back in years to come and said, that was an incredibly positive experience for me. I also think it's what society in general is crying out for right now, is community. 
We are more mobile than we've ever been. Most of us do not have the family and friends that previous generations grew up with and then lived alongside with us. I have spent the whole of my adult life with at least one of my siblings in another country and typically on another continent. I went to visit my 80-year-old father recently in his hometown. He took me out for coffee. And as we were sitting there having coffee, he saw a couple that he knew and he beckoned them over. We exchanged small talk. They left. He said, David, those two were in my youth group that I led 50 years ago. And he then itemized, he then listed another 10 people who still live in his community who were also part of that youth group. Now, most of us cannot even imagine that sort of longevity of relationship. Partly, I appreciate, because some of us haven't been alive for 30 years, let alone 80 years. But you get my point. We're always saying hello. We're always saying goodbye. The heart seeks something deeper. This, of course, is accentuated by the huge social change of family breakdown. Now, I realize this is delicate territory for us all. But all I want to acknowledge is this, that when we experience those sort of things happening, it leaves a mark on our lives. It's very hard to deal with the love deficit after we have had that sort of experience. And because about 50% of us in this room have had that experience, that adds some new challenges to building community. Don't worry, said Mark Zuckerberg. The internet will save the whole thing. My goal, he said, is through my wonderful new creation of Facebook to link us all together. And the more of us are linked, the more social harmony there will be in the world. And of course, we know it's all worked out just as he planned. <laughs> Most of us, of course, live in what have become known as echo chambers. I follow those I agree with, and they tell me what I already think. And I become persuaded that everybody thinks my way, apart from those that are wrong <laughs> and outside my social circle. As one online commentator put it, you may have a thousand friends on Facebook, but the internet will not deliver a casserole to your door when you just get back from hospital. And of course, amongst all of that, international events, and we've not got time to think about Brexit or to talk about crisis on the North Korean Peninsula or any of the other things, that remind us of the instability in the world and the desire to have somebody and people who will give us some sense of longevity. The New York Times columnist David Brooks is a middle-aged white man in his early 50s who regularly eats with a group of 20-somethings in his hometown. He tells the story of arriving the first time for dinner. And as any white middle-aged man will tell you, and I should know, he put his hand out. And the guy who greeted him took one look at his hand and he said, we don't do that around here, and he opened his arms. And David said he had an extremely uncomfortable experience <laughs> of hugging someone half his age 
And David went on and his reflection was this, that of course there are different greetings reflect different cultures and customs, but also he said he couldn't help reflecting on the fact that so many of us are love-starved and just want to be in a loving environment. Jack Ma is the CEO of Alibaba, which is probably the largest company that most of us have never heard of. He recently talked about the qualities of leadership in the 21st century. The first two were no surprise. He talked about IQ. He said, if you want to be a leader in the 21st century, then being smart, bright, uh, intellectually able helps. But he said, don't forget EQ. Understand the emotions in the room and be sensitive to others, empathetic to them. That really helps as well. But he said... Those two will not be enough in the 21st century. He said, you also will need LQ. LQ, he called love quotient. He said, if you're going to be a leader in the 21st century, you cannot treat people as disposable commodities. You cannot simply relate to them on a transactional basis. Even when you lead a huge organization larger than Amazon, you have to love people. I think he was talking about community. And after all, who should do this well but the church? We are, after all, called to reflect the greatest, deepest, most powerful reality in the whole universe. Do you know what the greatest, deepest, most powerful reality in the whole universe is? It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in community. If we had time to go through the scriptures together, we would find that that community is not overflowing, just overflowing in love with one another, but it's overflowing in joy. And when you and I are invited into relationship with Jesus Christ, more, more accurately, we are invited into the relationship of the Godhead. That community of never-ending never ceasing, always giving love and joy. So when I worship and when I pray, that trinity starts work on me. It means that when I go into community, I'm not as needy as I was. And my family tell me when I'm needy, it's hard to be in community with me. And I need the trinity. Freely available. Grace offered to every one of us. So we have an experience, a relationship that's available, but we also have an example. For when Jesus walked, talked, and lived on this earth, he showed us how to build community. He seemed to have unending patience with those around him. Anyone do with a bit of patience? No need to put your hands up. He seemed to have an ability not to get offended even when people were pretty vile to him. He showed remarkable refusal to bear a grudge, stand up to those who attacked him, and sacrificed for those that loved him. So as we read the Gospels over and over again and saturate our minds in how he lived, we have not only a relationship to transform us, but an example to guide us. Matthew Said is a journalist. 
and he recently wrote an article in the Times entitled, I Love Church, although he no longer goes. In it, he said this. He said, I regret that I never found another forum so conducive to friendship and to mutual support as the church. So what would community drawing on the life of the Trinity look like for us all in our different pockets and communities stretched across this city? Let me just very briefly itemize a couple of things. We're told they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, their teaching gave them a story. They understood that they stood in the legacy of Abraham who was called to bless the nations. In the moment of Jesus' life, death and, death and resurrection, which means now the renewal of all things is possible, and in the coming back of the Son, which will make a new heavens and a new earth, it puts us in that story. And when you're in that story, you have a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of purpose, community gathers around that purpose in a way it wouldn't otherwise. The Clapham sect is one of the most famous communities to have changed the world as it worked for the abolition of slavery. One of its members, Hannah Moore, said that the diversity of the people in, her, in that community reminded her of Noah's Ark. That sort of, where do you get a gazelle, a lion, and a poisonous spider all on the same boat? Well, you don't. Unless there's a very unusual sense of purpose which brings people together. I suspect Bramber Bakehouse, which we heard about earlier, is a very unusual community. I reckon there's people from all sorts of different nations and all sorts of different backgrounds who get to build life together because of a purpose that they've been given because they understand. Abraham was my father. I'm to bless the world. One day, all things will be made new. Now I become a partner with him. In that whole project, you become devoted to teaching. It shapes your purpose, but it also gives you values. Values that are part of that community. You see, when you and I are living part of a community, we can't just attend church, nod our heads and give the impression we're all in without being found out during the week, if we're not. One Christchurch, I put it like this, when she kindly wrote some thoughts down for me. She said, living in community at times is stupid hard. You, you live around people so closely, the stresses of life can easily leak into your relationships. And you cannot be lazy about dealing about these things. Now, to my mind, this is one of the best things about living life alongside others. It calls me to be bigger, stronger, and more generous than I would be otherwise. Now, the reality is I don't like the process, but I like who I become. And I don't know how else to become that person. So I welcome community as a result. They're devoted to teaching purpose, values, devoted to fellowship, to relationship. I checked out thesaurus on devoted. Here's what it says. Loyal, faithful, true, staunch, steadfast, constant, committed, and dedicated, all Things we're not over-familiar with these days. Those things, devoted, essentially says, I am yours and you are my people. You are my people and I am here for you. 
Now, of course, most of our relationships are pretty functional. They work on the basis of, is this working for me? And am I getting more out of this than I'm putting in? Devoted to fellowship is not about that at all. I was recently talking with a family who have been living in London and their family have been growing older, but their modest income has not been keeping pace with the growth of the family. And it's got more and more challenging for them. And they've started to seriously consider moving out of town. And I caught up with them recently and I said, how's it going and what are you thinking? And they said, we've decided to stay for as long as we possibly can because we so love the people we get to do community with. And that's what happens when you're devoted to fellowship. Devoted to sharing meals. I've already told you about my table at university, the table I shared. Almost poisoned people with my cooking, but otherwise it was great. And this passage that we just touched on this morning talks about the fact that amongst the devotion there was great joy. Now, you know what happens when there's great joy in a community? That community sings together and it dances together. And I think these are the sort of communities that most of us would like to be part of. Where we eat, share stories, stay up late, play music and dance together. Devoted to prayer. God is in their midst. And as we're part of community and learn that we cannot hide who we are, and realize we need grace to be the people we want to be rather than the people that others find us to be. We welcome God into our midst. And we find there's some supernatural grace for me to change and to love others and to be loved myself. And they were added to daily. There was always room for more. When our children were young, Philippa always used to, used to have a saying, which was there's always room for one more on mummy's lap. And however many children there seemed to be and how little space there seemed to be, the answer was there's always room for one more. Now that's the sort of community we should build. Something's gone wrong when we say, I like it as, I, I like it, as it is. Please don't anyone come and spoil it. You know the reality is when you take that attitude, it doesn't take long before it spoils anyway. Whenever you get something of value, to keep it, you have to give it away. It's part of what he taught us when he lived on this earth. And so we have to do the same. I wonder whether the band could come back, please. I want to finish with a psalm that King David wrote. And as I read it in a minute, and I'm going to ask you to stand when I read it, but as I read it, I want you to notice the connection between the unity of relationships and the command of God's blessing which is presented in the imagery of precious oil and, and dew. And I, in a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand, and I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it the first time so we can familiarize ourselves with it. The second time, I'm going to pray it as a prayer, and I'd ask you to join me that we would pray that as a community, we would participate in the life of the Trinity, and we would know the oil and the dew of God's presence and blessing upon us. Let's stand together.
Let me read it uh, first just for us all to familiarize. But look, notice the imagery of oil, the imagery of dew as signs of the Spirit's presence. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. He was the priest. He was going into God's presence on behalf of the people, down on the collar of his robe. It was as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. Even there, the Lord bestows his blessing, ever life, forevermore. Will you join me in prayer as we read this again? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.